you can also make up your own career. This is real. This is a real thing. You don't need to go into anything traditional, and you certainly don't need to go into these prescribed professions that other people already have set up for you. You can literally take whatever it is that you have a passion for and make something out of it. And you can do that in this world. So don't get so caught up in, you know, I'm just going to be this, and this is already, here's the exact path to this because you can make it up. You are in a totally different world than we were and you have so many different outlets and so many skill sets that you can pull from. So you can be whatever you want, even if it doesn't exist because you exist now and you can just be whatever it is. This is Professional Confessionals. Founder of Ascend Wellness Center and Yoga Pilates instructor Malia Marzolo reveals her path from English teacher to wellness center founder. Thanks so much for joining us, Malia. Thank you for having me. Tell us about your professional journey. Where did you go to school? What did you study? And what profession did you plan to pursue? Well, I went to school in Westbrook, Connecticut. I graduated from high school there and I was interested in a lot of things. So going to school seemed like liberal arts was probably the best idea for me to keep things open. So I went to school in Virginia at Wesleyan and I graduated from there with master's in English and then minor in environmental science and theater because I was able to pick two. I wanted to be an actress, naturally. That was sort of my first passion and interest. But I was always interested in literature and reading and writing. So having English as my major seemed like a solid plan. And then I went to teaching school and got my master's in education and went straight into teaching very young. At the age of 23, I started teaching. What did you teach? I taught English and I taught writing. So I taught for the seventh grade and the 11th grade. And then I went on to teach political writing at Western Connecticut. Was teaching what you thought it would be, the experience? That's a great question. Um, I don't know what I thought it would be, <laughs> right? Because a little further down the line, I've obviously had a lot of time to think about teaching. Some of it was what I imagined maybe at 19 years old. Some of it, I think, was what I imagined. But a lot of what I didn't expect was everything that comes on top of that. So it's not just your passion or your love for the literature or um, the content that you're working on or the students that you have in your class. It's the layers that come with that. So it's the faculty that you're working on. It's very specifically who's in your department. And then it's the parents, when you're working with high school kids or you're working at public schools and then it's exponential from there. So that was a lot more than I think I um, had thought of or didn't think of at all. I really didn't think of all of those other layers of, of teaching and the interactions you would have to have all the parent teacher nights going to the grocery store and, you know, having people stop you and it taking three hours just to get to the register. If you, this is, if you live close to where you teach, right. Mm -hmm. And, and I didn't expect all of that. Right. I think maybe if I was living somewhere else and teaching very far away, it might be a different experience as well. And I did have both of those experiences, teaching close and teaching far. And there were difficulties with both of those things. Yeah. What were the difficulties with teaching far? A few things. One is that commutes are intense. Mm. And if you're, I had to drive, it wasn't a train ride where I could sit and read or, you know, get myself organized. I had to drive. And that kind of energy, I think, when you're stuck in traffic 
was a lot because then, um, you know, I'm going into the class already, you know, sort of ruffled and waiting. I also taught in uh, a science department. I was teaching English in a science department because there wasn't enough room in, in the English building because there were so many incoming freshmen. And that was, that was a little bit challenging because I was in a stadium seating. So I had to stand as a 23-year-old in front of the class with some people who were older than me. And there was a lot of anxiety, I think, that came with it. Just, you know, standing in my own power and my own knowledge, but in stadium seating. I don't know that that's the best for interaction and writing. And I think that that's really how people learn the best. Yeah, so that was really, that was challenging for me. Not just the commute, but then coming into stadium seating was really intense. <laughs> I also was the youngest person in my department, and I definitely felt that there was ageism. And that was hard for me to deal with. I felt like, oh, hey, I'm here. I might not have as much experience as you, but I expected there to be more mentoring from other teachers, and they weren't really that interested in that. They were kind of interested in just, you do your thing, you're the new kid on the block, and you have to have to make your own way. I think it's different, of course, in, in maybe different schools. Um, but that was the experience I had being sort of annexed all the way out in science department land um, with with um, with not a lot of uh, mentorship. Yeah. Perhaps they felt you had to pay your dues first before you achieve some respect uh, in, in your role. I think so. I think so. And I, I do think it had something to do with my age. And I think that it had something to do with my sex as well. I was in a department with 90% men, and they were all 30 to 40 years older than me. So I had to contend with that walking into my classroom after the long drive too. And uh, and you don't get paid a lot of money when you're, when you're working at, as an adjunct and you're teaching just a few classes and you get all the classes that nobody else wants. And they're really hard. So if you think about being a brand new teacher at 23, there's all of this anxiety already coming in. And then you're dealing with a giant class, right? These, these first level classes, the first few years are just enormous. And they had just started to digitize everything. So not only did we have to be in class and, and do our work in class, but then as a teacher, it was our job. We didn't have assistance to then put all of our work online so students could start handing in papers online. This was really just when that started to change. So um, there wasn't a lot of reinforcement with that either. And kids could not come to class and then just read their homework assignments, which, again, I really, the most I've ever learned in my life, the most I've taken away from any sessions has not been from behind a screen, but it's been from personal interaction. So um, I expected more of that in mentorship and just the way it was set up rather than just somebody teaching at you that you guys were working together on creating language that worked for you, writing that worked for you, and working on the content together. So that was my experience uh, traveling far away. That's a very long answer. (laughs) (laughs) And then close up was sort of what I had mentioned before. It's a lot of interaction. And you're, you know, you're constantly in the spotlight. And I try to think of that now as a teacher, when I see one of my children's teachers somewhere, that, hey, they're not on duty. If they're not on duty, just, you know, a hi, give them their space. They're famous in their, you know, they're famous to you. They're famous to your, to your children. So to give them, to give them that space as well. So that was really, I think, my biggest challenge here or teaching somewhere close. Yeah. So how long did you stay in teaching? Not very long. Um, All together, four years. 
What caused you to leave that profession? Well, I already had an interest in the wellness world. And um, at night, after I was done in school, I would, you know, end up at a studio or be somewhere, you know, to get to to get that feeling that I wanted, which is spaciousness, thoughtfulness, some quiet. And that wasn't really happy. I thought that would happen in the classroom, talking about the literature that I loved, working on poetry. I just, you know, had this very romantic vision of what it would be. And it can be that for some people. It just wasn't that for me. And so I was a teacher. I've always been a teacher. I love teaching. So it was a natural um, progression for me to take that thing that I love that I was doing every single night and to start to then make a career out of it, which is what I did. So I had a little bridge in between where I would teach children that were out of school for various reasons. A lot of kids who had uh, medical issues or emotional issues. And so I worked for years and years as a bridge financially, because it's very expensive to change careers. So I would teach during the day and then tutor and take my classes at night. And then I started to get more professional development in Pilates training, in yoga training, in wellness training, in meditation on my weekends and time off. And then eventually I let my daytime teaching go. I just did the tutoring for years, seven years altogether. By that time, I was already peppering in some classes and had started to build those classes. Yeah. And then I transitioned full time. During this process, you had started teaching yoga and Pilates classes in the evening as well? In the evening, yeah. Mm. So it was a very, very long day. And all of this happening while I have a kindergarten age child Mm -hmm. and uh, was getting a divorce. So it was really intense. Yeah. You had a lot on your plate, and yet... I had a lot. You went forward. I did. And that was, honestly, it was really important for me to connect at that time. And I think that that kind of propelled it. Um, I was in a relationship that I didn't want to be in with another person. And then I was in a relationship with a career that didn't quite suit me. And how was I to know? I didn't know that that wasn't going to suit me. Mm. You have to just try it on. Mm -hmm. And that's the difficulty. I think trying it on means uh, four years of school often, right? And then committing to what your major is within two years. So when you're 19 years old, 20 years old, you're committing to what your career is going to be. So in retrospect, I still love literature. I'm really glad I have that background. I still have a love for writing. I still use that in my career today. But I'm really glad that at that young age, when it was very, very scary, that I chose to kind of make my shift all at once. This is not working for me. That's okay. I don't have to stay another year, two years, three years, five years. I can make the shift. This is appealing to me. I wanted to be in the studio more and more. It made me feel fantastic. I was still teaching. I was still using everything I learned. I was just applying it to a different subject matter. And that was that was the transition. And that was, that was really pretty young. So by the time I was 30, I was fully into my other career, divorced, Totally happy, (laughs) totally happy that I made all those decisions that were more truthful to myself. I remember the exact moment when I made these decisions, too. I was coming back from a really long lecture. It was a three-hour evening lecture, and I had a a young child at home, too, and I thought, I'm I'm lying to myself. I I just wanted to boil it down, because this is something you do in meditation, too, right? You bring it down to the base level get away, you push kind of all the complicated things away and get down to the base level. 
And I thought, I'm lying to myself because I'm no longer happy doing this. I am no longer happy here. I'm no longer happy every day. I have to actively try to be happy instead of just be myself, right? Mm. I had to try to be something else and find happiness from that something else instead of what already existed. And I'm innately happy. We're all innately that way. So it was so wonderful to me to think just very simply, I'm lying to myself when I do this. You're not a liar. I'm not a liar. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that anymore. And I was driving home and it was an hour and a half from this class. And I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just tell myself every day, this decision, is it completely truthful to my soul? Is it truthful to me? And it was very, very clear then to dissect what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. And that's when I decided to move on. That took a lot of courage, I'm sure. It, it, it was scary, but when you see it in front of you, if you're really listening to yourself, it's so clear and you know there's really nothing else. And you can just allow yourself to be drawn there, right? You get rid of everything that's confusing because it's just confusing. And you can just allow yourself to be drawn closer to, to yourself instead of what other people think about you or their expectations. Part of why I took on teaching and going to teaching school was because it was more comfortable for people around me, right? Trying to go and be an actress, which was really my first passion was the theater, was so scary to other people. And I took on their fear, right? Instead of thinking, no, actually, I've got this. I trust in my own talent, my own work ethic, my own passion. And I didn't, I didn't listen to it, right? I let all of those other voices come in and really affect me. So I could have been working on that full time then if I wanted to, and I didn't. And then I found it later and it transitioned. So, you know, my passion for acting and being on stage is still there. I still have that available to me. I've just transitioned it into something that's completely me. So it's not a stage taking on another person. I have um, my own stage in my world of yoga and wellness. And it's so true and authentic to me. And that feels fantastic. What would you say to young people Mm -hmm. who are hearing these voices Mm -hmm. that are recommending, telling them Mm -hmm. they should or shouldn't do something Mm -hmm. with their lives? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that some of those voices are, are important, right? It's important to hear voices and then to say, well, where is this coming from, right? Where is this information coming from? So if it's a parent and their information is coming from a place where they're just keeping you safe, right? They're helping to guide you. Is it coming from that place or is it coming from somebody else's fear, right? So not to take on other people's fears or, um, or, or their dreams that are unrealized, that they're pushing onto you. So it can go both ways, right? Where, you know, you have advice coming from somebody who has not realized something. And so they want to see that in you. And they're going to push you and push you and push you so they can fulfill voyeuristically what they haven't, right? Or the opposite, they're contained with so much fear and they don't want to let you go um, that then they give you advice from that place. So where is it coming from, right? And does it feel true to you? That would be my advice. There is so much, there's so much around you. So tuning in to what sounds good to you, what really feels good to you in in a non-reactive way, 
right? It's not like, oh, my parent just said this to me and I'm tired of hearing it because it's annoying and you just tune it out, right? But to take it in a way that you can kind of let all that go, boil it down and see how you feel about something and go from there. So again, truth telling, right? Truth telling to yourself as well. What prompted you to open up your own studio? And what were the biggest stumbling blocks that you encountered? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's so many stumbling blocks. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, you just find new ones. They, you know, they keep coming up right on this path. The longer you're, um, you're on any path, right? So I think just logistics. You have to when you're running a business, you have to not only know your own content, but you have to know so many other things. And you have to, if you don't know them, you have to be willing to go out and find people who do and take their advice and really, really help yourself (laughs) uh, to help the greater whole. So logistically, we have our own building. So you have to have a space for your business, right? So taking care of that space is an incredible amount of work. How many hours does that take from your day, right? It's not just decorating and all the fun stuff and picking out colors, but it's the the real. Um, it's the it's the heat during the winter. It's the keeping things cool. It's keeping the place clean. It's all of the things um, that you have to do just to take care of the physical space. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a lot of work. And then um, and then there's the finances of everything behind that. You really have to have a business background. So I didn't have a business background. I didn't go to school for business. So what I did do is uh, I paid a lot of close attention to businesses that I held in high esteem and I paid attention and I took notes and then I got to know the people that I needed to get to know to learn from and ask questions when I could. And, uh, and then I went to every single free business meeting at every library in my area at night to learn. And I did from other groups, but that's an incredible amount of time. So if you think about whatever your focus is, no matter what your focus is, if it's, you know, if it's science, if it's fashion, if it's, you know, yoga, the amount of hours that you have to put into your actual craft, if you're a musician, I mean, think about this, the amount of hours that you have to put into your craft are enormous, but the amount of hours you have to then put into uh, finding a place for your craft, finding an audience for this craft and everything else that comes with it. It's it's really incredible. So that's the biggest thing. There's not enough hours in the day, but slowly and surely you can find those other people that I think help you and add. I didn't originally set out to have my own business. I will say that too. I worked with a group and I kept seeing things fall apart or not being done in a sustainable ways. And I knew I wanted to be in this profession always and continue to grow into this profession. And I didn't find the stability, so I had to create it myself. So that's why I chose to do this. Uh, It was not, again, it wasn't originally my plan. Stumbling blocks, there were many. My first studio that I owned got washed out by a hurricane, right? So there was that. Everything I had, all the money I had, and all of this equipment wiped out in a second. And that was a lot to, to build back from. Stumbling blocks, personalities, right? Other personalities that you work with. I think the biggest stumbling block that I have gotten over and I'm still getting over, and I think this works in every relationship, and I really, really want kids to hear this, saying no is your biggest power and your biggest gift to yourself and to other people. 
So I've learned how to say no to things. I've learned how to say no to things that don't align with what I'm working with or are going to take away energy from things I really do want to put more time and energy into. And, you know, no doesn't have to be aggressive or unkind. It really is a kindness. Hey, okay, no, no, thank you, right? No, thank you is fantastic. So for me still, you know, in my 40s, and hopefully I'll be doing this for another 40 years, I think of no as uh, one of my biggest assets and and a help over those stumbling blocks. Because it's a if it's a yes, it's definitely a yes. And all of that energy and love and, you know, and finance and everything that goes into it is going to be okay. You're going to feel really good about it because it was definitely a yes already. So I think knowing your no's and knowing your yeses, you know, sifting it down, just boiling it down. It doesn't have to be that confusing. You know your own heart. You just have to listen to it. And also the people that you want to surround yourself with. I mean, we have a very innate ability, right, to feel whether this is settling well with you, whether this relationship with another person is settling well with you. And if it's not, you immediately feel it Mm -hmm. to trust those instincts and then to get the tools and the language around it to help you employ those instincts, right? And that's where mentors come in. You know, that's where people who are in your profession or in your personal life that you really look up to, this is where you go to them. You don't need to go to them to find yourself because it's already there. You need to go to them to help you find the tools to help you continue to find yourself. Did you have any good mentors? I did. I did. I was so lucky. I had such fantastic teachers in school. So I grew up in a very difficult household and um, I adopted myself into another family at a very young age um, because it was very turbulent for me in my own family setting. And I left and chose something better for myself at a very, very young age. So I still maintained a relationship. My parents were divorced when I was a year old. So I never really had a house of two parents. And then my mom ended up marrying an alcoholic who was abusive And that wasn't where I wanted to be. And she wasn't ready to, she didn't have the support that she needed to leave or she didn't have whatever it was that she needed to leave. And I certainly didn't want to be subject to that. So I left and was adopted into another family. So um, I would, you know, spend my weekends and holidays with another family. So I really had (laughs) a very deep perspective of two um, completely different ends of what life can look like, what what your house can look like. One felt very chaotic and one felt very settled and I knew what I wanted. (laughs) So um, uh, that settled household was my godmother and we're still very close to this day. Both of my parents have passed away. Um, so I have a wonderful relationship with her. She was a professional woman, intellectual, always very open with sharing with me her own process. She was in real estate with my aunt. That's how we knew each other. And they were just like these really incredible, powerful 80s women just taking things over. And I just thought that that was so incredible because I didn't I didn't really see a ton of that. A lot of the moms that I was around uh, weren't career woman, women. They were kind of stay-at-home moms, which is wonderful and fabulous, but that wasn't necessarily me either. So I needed a role model that was um, so more in my likeness and her and, and my aunt definitely were. so. Um, and she's still with me. So um, that's one of my greatest role models. And my teachers in high school were totally incredible. 
I had teachers who would drive me. Like I said, I had a very difficult home life. So it was very clear that I was going to have to get a lot of scholarships. I was going to have to work really hard and I was going to have to earn the money to go to college. And this is something, again, oh, it's so hard for young people if you don't have the financial backing. But I want them to know that it's totally possible <laughs> and it can work for you because I had zero, zero money, zero financial backing. And I have a master's degree and I got through it. So it will work. <laughs> it will work. Um, so I did. I worked really hard. I applied for every scholarship and was supported by my teachers. They would take me to colleges. Is that wonderful? I mean, they would take me to these interviews. They would write and say, really, you know, you have to you have to listen to this to this young girl and uh, and give her a chance. So I did I did get rejected from all the Ivy Leagues first because <laughs> my teachers were very excited. Um, uh, so I applied early admission and got rejected early admission. I applied to Holyoke and um, and then just went with a, a backup school, which ended up being just fine because no matter what, I still found my path. Mm hmm. And and yeah. that's important for kids to yeah. hear too, because yeah. sometimes they get locked into it must be this university, and yeah. and there's such disappointment when that doesn't work out. Yeah, but you know, in the end, it will be okay. You it you know, you totally will follow, will. find your path. Yeah, and you know, something else I realized in that in that time was um, there was a lot of pressure on me to go to these schools because a lot of my teachers figured that I would go into politics and they wanted me to go to very specific women's colleges. And I love that idea. I still love that idea now. But looking back, I wasn't ready for it. So I'm glad they rejected me. You know, I really wasn't ready for it. I didn't have, you know, I wasn't taking Mandarin since the time I was five. Some of these girls, you know, they were in language labs. They were already speaking four or five languages. I was not. Again, I didn't, you know, I didn't have a lot of after school specials. I didn't have, you know, money to to have these extracurricular classes. These girls were so far ahead of me that I would have been playing catch up the whole time. And actually, it probably would have killed my self-esteem. So I think it's fantastic that they rejected me. Rejection feels terrible when it's happening. But as this woman that stands in front of you right now, it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. Because then I wasn't rejected every day, right? I felt really, really efficient at a, at a lot of things and I wasn't always catching up. Um, and you know what? You can go to school your whole life, right? So I can still now, I can decide what my education is, right? I've graduated. I have my degree. I have my profession. And, you know, anything I'm wondering about and, and want more information on, I can go seek that in the world and it's available to me now. Right? Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> so rejection is fine. And and um, if you don't get into that first choice, you don't even really know that first choice, right? You're not already in the relationship with that first choice. You have an idea of what it might be, but you'll land just where you need to. And then you'll continue to be more discerning and figure out what suits you. And also, you know, where you start off doesn't necessarily, it doesn't mean that you have to stay there. Absolutely. You can shift and and changed and go someplace else. It, it's yeah. not, it's not written in stone that, yeah. you know. Yeah. And if that first year doesn't work, that's exactly it. If it's not, if it doesn't suit you, if you're, if it's beyond just that, you know, getting settled stage, right. You know what that is. We're all nervous. Everybody going into a new situation. If it's beyond that and you don't feel good somewhere, you don't have to stay. 
you don't have to make that decision to stay somewhere where you don't want to stay, right? There's right. a you lot of other programs. You don't have to tough anything out. This is, you know, this is life. This is this is your life. And if you have this um, wonderful advantage already of getting an education, and and I know that I said that I had to earn it myself. It's still an advantage, right? I still get to get that education. So I want to make that very clear too. Yes. You know, some people can financially get it, but most of the world isn't getting any of this or even a fraction of this. So you're still so lucky that this is available to us, right? So take advantage of that and don't do things that insult your inherent nature. If a school isn't working for you, if a profession isn't working for you, choose something else. Choose yourself. You know, That's real pushback against the idea of being a quitter. Oh, yeah. Hmm. What is a quitter? Right? I mean, what is that? What does that mean? They'll tell you, well, you chose this. You have to, you know, make your way through it. And, mm. and Yeah, but we uh, know better now. We're allowed mm. to change our mind. Mm-hmm. I don't accept the stigma of being mm-hmm. a quitter because mm-hmm. that doesn't serve us. No. And it seems no. to be rooted in ignorance. Mm-hmm. But there's a, the idea of fortitude, I suppose. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, it is a balance, yes? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't want someone giving up too easily or too early. Right. But not sticking with it when it's painful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, if, when it's beyond those, you know, beginning nerves, that beginning kind of just getting settled in. And if it really isn't a good fit, you'll know it. Right. There's a difference between those. I think that's really important. It's a, it's a really good topic. And I think that's important for young people to hear that there's this discernment between those spaces, right? Am I uncomfortable because I just have to get settled? Or am I, the idea of toughing it out, what does that mean? Is toughing it out, is it taking away from you? Is it insulting who you are? What is that toughing it out? For whom? If it's not for you, who is it for, right? So I don't know that I believe in that toughing it out. I do believe that commitment is important, right? And that if you've committed, at least to this first semester, go ahead do it. You can get through that many weeks and then, and then make your plan, make your plan for what suits you and then move along. So quitter seems very insulting to me just in general, just that idea of like, that means like you're a failure and and that again, like that failing, you're not failing, you're falling into who you are, right? You're finding that, right? So I don't believe in that. Yeah. I don't believe in that. And And it's also important to discern what what the driving factors are what you know is it a goal that you're headed to is it maybe challenging and are you struggling but it's you still want to get to your goal so then you will persist Mm -hmm. and what do you need to get to your goal right what are the tools are they available for me here that's another good way of thinking of it are the tools available to become me here if they're not all right what's my next plan right you're just finding yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and there's no rush in that. Gosh, you're 18 years old. You're 19 years old. I'll be a long, beautiful life. And with the things that this generation invents <laughs> medically too, <laughs> maybe they'll be living until they're 120, right? So you'll keep finding yourself. You'll keep finding yourself, you know, giving yourself permission to do that, I think is really, really important. And that doesn't happen in all family situations, right? We're not always taught that. We're definitely not taught that in in public schools, right? If you're not fitting in with the norm, that's a tough place to sit. And to think that you have to is a big falsehood. You know, it's a big veil. 
that we have just to make it easier, right? Just to make it easier to keep people in their containers. When you teach in public school, it's really hard. You know, it's a difficulty. So being a te- having been a teacher too, and there's a lot of standards that you have to come up to. And I don't know that those are, that, I mean, that's obviously a whole different, different subject, but to stay in those containers too, right? That's a hard thing. We're not taught that in school. You're taught to kind of sit in your seat and stay still, even if that's not your nature, or maybe you're not hearing that at home, but uh, you should know that you already know who you are. Find the people that support that. And know that it's the ones who are very different that usually make the greatest discoveries yes. or invent the most yes. incredible things. Yes. Yes. And that you don't, right? You don't have to fit into somebody else's perception of you. I remember hearing this. This is very, very profound. And I think it was uh, James Altucher that said it to me. He said, it's not anybody else's responsibility to define who you are. And I was like, oh. And, and even that word responsibility that somebody else would take it as a responsibility, especially if it's not a parent, right? Is it their responsibility to tell me who I am? No, absolutely not. Or they're right. Or they're right, exactly. And that's kind of how I took it too. Is it, is, is it their right? Is it that? No, it's mine. So I have to be very clear about my own voice and how I stand in it to help other people understand what I do or do not need from them, right? What has been the driving force behind the expansion into the healing arts? Mm. I'll be very specific about this, and I'm going to boil it down because I've gotten very obtuse about some things. (laughs) So I'll be very specific. My work as a teacher, really, and what I see is is heightened anxiety. Um, I teach all the way from little kids to my eldest client right now is 84 years old. So really everything from play to athletic enhancement to deep physical rebalancing. And the key factor in stressors in everybody is stress, right? And how you absorb that, how you absorb that into your psyche and how you absorb that into your body. So my expansion is because you can't just think that you're going to go into a 60-minute Pilates class and work out really hard and you're going to be well. You have to have the other components. So calming your nervous system, Meditation is where I'm going to. So I think meditation should be taught from the time we're very young. And I definitely think it should be in schools. And calming your nervous system is the most important thing to happiness, I think. Why are we here if it's not also to experience this thing called joy, right? So the expansion is to help bring more joy to the community through meditation, wellness, and and then the physical practice. Physical practice is just a component of, of being well, right? All parts have to be well for the whole to be well. I think that's Plato, maybe. <laughs> but all parts have to be well. So that's um, I've always wanted to do that since I started and had my own business. I was doing those practices myself and they were so beneficial to me that anything that you find that's great, a great recipe, a great song, you want to share it with people you love. And I really love uh, my community and where I'm at. So uh, the expansion is um, meditation. I said I wasn't going to get obtuse and then I did. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it was basically because I wanted to bring in the practice of meditation and those wellness acupuncture. We have psychotherapy now. So we mix psychotherapy in with some of the physical work as well. Is there anything that surprised you about the fitness and wellness field? And are there any misconceptions that you'd like to dispel? Wow. Um, There are lots of misconceptions. I don't know that I would like to dispel any of those because I don't know that that's my place. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's a very long process for people to kind of go through finding their own truths and what they want to listen to or not see or see. I do think that when you get into um, a field where you have a guru, most fields have have somebody that's a guru, right? That that you can you can forget that they're imperfect, right? You can be so concerned about what you see on the outside, right? In this Instagram world that we live in too, that you're not seeing the whole and we're never, ever going to see the whole of another human being. We have to remember that, right? And that's important to remember. (laughs) So if you're spending a lot of time and energy trying to idolize or or idolizing somebody, actually idolizing them, you're going to take away from yourself and you are definitely going to be disappointed, (laughs) Because nobody is perfect. So I think in the yoga world especially, the teacher that sits in front of you, you want them to eat perfectly, to talk perfectly, to have all of the knowledge, to uh, you know never yell at their children, never beep their horn in traffic. It's just not realistic. We're all human beings. We all have bad habits and, and bad tendencies. Some of us are aware of them and some of us are not. I think dispelling, if I was to dispel anything... It would just be that. It would be very ambiguous to dispel the idea that there is perfection anywhere. Are there any aspects of it that mm. you'd like to change? I, I think I am changing them. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that I'm, I'm working on, on changing what I can. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also uh, changing the idea that I can change everything. I don't have to change everything. I'm not responsible for everything or everybody, but I can change the things in my world. I can change my interactions with people and that changes everything. If I'm going to change anything, I change myself to create my world into the world I want it to be. And I am doing that. Yeah. What's your favorite aspect of this career that you've chosen? Oh, gosh, there's so many. Most grounding one is that I am I'm exactly who I am. I get to be exactly who I am. I don't have to pretend to be anybody else. Um, I'm exactly who I am. My teaching is very reflectant of the human being that I am. So I love that. You get to be yourself every day. Proudest moments and biggest disappointments. Mm. I have several of both of those. Some of my proudest moments are really simple and may seem mundane. I'll just give you one example. A parent came up to me on the soccer field and uh, their son is really severely ADHD and so he doesn't get to get into a lot of after school classes. And I shouldn't say he doesn't get to get into them, but you feel it when you're not wanted, right? You feel that there's this kind of rejection. And even as a very, very young kid, we're, we're very tuned in that way. So he doesn't do a lot of after school programs. He decided to do the yoga program. His parents were so nervous, but I said, it's okay. We're equipped. We've got it. Just let's see how it goes. I never met the father. I saw him at the soccer field and this little boy came running from across the soccer field, came straight in front of me and then just got right into tree pose (laughs) just perfectly. And he goes, hi, Miss Malia. And he was just there. And I was like, oh, you look wonderful. Thank you. And he runs away. And then so the father goes, oh, that must be her. That must be the yoga teacher. And he comes over to me and he goes, you know, I've wanted to just say thank you to you. And I thought, oh, okay, thank you. Well, thank you for saying thank you. And he goes, no, 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 really. We had this experience last week where he had a meltdown, locked himself in the bathroom, and we kind of just let him go. And then we heard himself. He was self-soothing in the bathroom with a chant that I do at the end of class. And I was like, it works. (laughs) 
right? So this high stretch situation, this young man who really struggles, calmed himself. He soothed himself. That's everything, right? It's amazing. Yeah. It it makes me cry. I mean, it's totally (laughs) incredible. And, you know, you hear the words of the people around you. Whether you think people are listening or young kids are listening, um, they are. Right. They are. And we're absorbing that even even on a subconscious level, we're absorbing that. So the things that you say to yourself are really important and saying kind things to yourself, even if the world around you is feeling rough, is really, really important. (laughs) So that's one of my proudest moments. And those moments happen a lot. Yeah. And it's it's really, really totally incredible. (laughs) Biggest disappointments, I, I feel like, are putting my expectations on other people and then those expectations not being met. And then realizing, hey, that's actually my fault, (laughs) right? I had this expectation from who knows where, right? I don't know where that came from. And that person didn't meet that expectation. And then I felt angry about it, right? And, um, And that happens a lot. But the more discerning you get and the more that you can feel those things in you, the more you tune into that, the less that happens. So I do have to say that's happening a lot less. I don't have expectations from people who don't have that skill set. You can see it. You can feel it now when you tune in. So those were sort of my greatest disappointments. And obviously, they're big events that happened, but they all stemmed from what's the cause? Like, what's the cause of this event? What's the cause of this ripple effect? And the cause was that I didn't accurately measure up my expectations with who was standing in front of me. Or as a leader, I wasn't specific enough with that person of what I actually needed. Mm. So it still comes back to me, mm-hmm. right? So those disappointments are things that I'm working on. Knowing what you know now, is there anything you do differently? Mm. I think that that's a really tough question because intellectually I would, right? Because, hey, you learn that this path is, it hurts or it didn't work out well, so you might change it. But now I think, no, I think I wouldn't because it led me here. And here is a really good place. You know, there was some really, really tough times, some times that I felt really bad about myself and, and, and feeling that has helped me understand it's panoramic, right? There's so much more. It's not this moment. I'm just not just living in this moment, but I'm creating the woman that I want to be, you know, day by day. So not sitting in any of the no's, the rejections, the things that made you feel bad, the, whatever you would call big mistakes, but just taking them, taking the lesson and and walking forward because that's the only way to go. What have you always wanted to do or achieve that you haven't yet? Hmm. Oh my goodness. There's places that I want to go and have those kind of experiences. I don't know if it's a specific thing. I can't think of a specific thing that I'm really yearning for. And mine is mostly based around travel, getting to know the world that we live in a little bit more and getting to see other cultures. That's what I want to do. And hopefully I'll get to do that until I die too. So, yeah. (laughs) And what advice would you give someone who's considering a similar path? Mm, Okay. To take critique in a critical way. Right? I think that's really important, especially if you're a teacher or you're a performer or you're somebody who's in front of people being judged consistently, to take critique in an informative way and um, not in an emotional way, because that will allow you to be sustainable and that will allow you to learn and that will allow you to be a better version of yourself. When you're able to do that, I think that you'll really be able to navigate your career. 
So for me as a teacher, I know in the beginning, I had an extremely critical mentor in my professional life and my teaching, and it wasn't conducive for me, but I didn't know that yet. So after a while, I couldn't actually hear the real pearls of knowledge that she had to give me because it felt so emotional because I was being criticized all the time. And this was a situation where it was overly critical. But I feel like as I started to get older, I'm able to just tune out what's somebody else's noise and what the actual wisdom is. And I think if you're able to do that with your interactions as you're building your career, that you'll be stable and healthy and and it will be sustainable for you, right? And when things don't feel sustainable, that it's okay to take a break. It's okay to reflect. It's okay to walk away, right? That's really important too. And also not to um, make decisions just on the fly, right? You don't need to do that necessarily. Sometimes we feel like that. We feel like there's this pressure. But if you don't, if it's not an immediate yes for whatever it is, if somebody offers you a job or offers you a position, that if it's not an immediate yes for you, it's okay for you to just say, hmm, let me think about this. Take some time with it. You know, it's a really fast-paced world. You can get into situations you know, just by that moment where you said yes, and you maybe didn't want to say yes. And then you find yourself two years later down this path. And you're like, how the heck did I get here? Right. Mm. So to take your time, if it's a hell yes, then do it right. Right. Do it in that moment. But if it's not a hell yes, then take some time. And I think that's really important. Right. I think it's really, really important um, to, to just be able to say, it's okay. I can take a time, take the time, take a year off of school. It's not working out. You don't know exactly where you want to be. If you have the availability to take a year off of school, go for it, right? That's amazing. Take some time to find yourself. And then in every little decision. So that would be my professional advice is to take critique without emotion and be able to separate that and be able to kind of take your time finding yourself. And then your career will unfold that way. I will also say, if I was saying this directly, as I may maybe am to much younger people than myself, just finding their way, you can also make up your own career, right? This is, this is real. This is a real thing. It doesn't have to be traditional and it doesn't have to be something that somebody else already knows you. My guidance counselor was 80 something years old <laughs> and he had no idea if I had talked to him and I was, I was already doing yoga in high school. If I had talked to him about that, he just, he actually just wasn't tapped into anything that I was interested in. And I loved him. I thought he was a wonderful human, but he knew, he knew what he knew and he knew about um, Ivy league school and he knew about just, just that, just becoming a teacher. And I mean, that, that was his, you know, that, that was his realm. That was his wheelhouse. That's what he knew. You don't need to go into anything traditional and you certainly don't need to go into these prescribed professions that other people already have set up for you, these career paths that other people or your masters that other people already have. You can literally take whatever it is that you have a passion for and make something out of it. So I was a teacher didn't want to be a school teacher anymore. I still write. I write every day and I write instead a beautiful class or I write, I write poetries for, for my meditations. All of my meditations I write, I write myself. And, um, and so I, I still use that, but I use it in my own way and you can do that in this world. So don't get so caught up in, you know, I'm just going to be this and this is, already here's the exact path to this because you can make it up you are in a totally different world than we were and you have so many different outlets and so many skill sets that you can you can pull from so you can be whatever you want even if it doesn't exist 
because you exist now and you can just be whatever it is that you want. So I would also say create your own career if that's what you want to do because you can. I can't think of a better place to end this interview. Thank you so much, Malia, for joining us. Amazing pearls of wisdom. (laughs) Thank (laughs) Thank you you so much for having me here. So inspiring. Thank you. I very much appreciate being here. Thanks for listening. To hear more and subscribe, visit our website, professionalconfessionals.com. You can find Professional Confessionals on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.